This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. This is Geek Gab for Saturday, July 25th, 2020, the year of the weird. So, Dornall, did you hear the weird story for the week? Weird story for the week. I tell you what, I've been heads down in rpg development and watching mecha anime for that rpg development i have no idea what the weird story is so i'll give you the headline that joe rogan sent out then i'll tell you the actual truth because the headline is much much weirder than the truth and were i a drinking man the headline would have sent me off into a drinking jag pardon me while i sip the headline was that the Air Force verified that wreckage of UFOs were in fact artifacts from other planets. The Air Force, the United States Air Force, the official arm of the government officially verified that UFOs were wreckages from another world, not of this earth, not made on this planet. That was the headline. Hmm, sounds fishy to me. Officially verified. So, yeah. And I thought, well, I guess that's just 2020, right? No. Um... What actually was the truth, and I'm really grateful to the guy on Twitter who (laughs) said this my way, because once again, you know, headlines and uh, the actual truth really diverged in the woods. And uh, apparently, the headline took the path less traveled by, uh, or maybe it's the path more traveled by, because that would be the lie, which is more traveled by, and the truth is less traveled by. Truth is, he was supposedly, he says, in an Air Force briefing where that was said, but there has been no confirmation that he was even in a briefing or that that was said in a briefing or anything like that. So it's just another in a long series of uh, less than verifiable, ostensible, asserted, supposed factish kind of statements that's the uh that's the news media for you and and, and also witnesses who are less than perfectly reliable <laughs> <laughs> so my sanity is saved i think just for a few moments I was staring down the barrel of insanity, which is why, even though I don't drink, I was feeling like tying one on. And I actually asked people on Twitter. I said, folks, uh, in so many words here, I'm kind of paraphrasing myself. I said, folks, I don't drink. But those of you who do out there drink, please go ahead and get drunk for me (laughs) because it would make me feel so much better. I, I think we all know that all the alien UFO stuff is false. Why? Because we've had presidents and what is the first thing that you would do if you became president? You'd sit down. (laughs) Yeah. You'd sit down with, with, with those guys and be like, all right, show me the aliens. I need to know all this stuff. This is so cool. See, that was the that was the absolute most truthful part of the National Treasure series, right? In the second movie, they actually had all those secrets. And the president in the second movie, he went and found them out. That was like the first thing he did. Right. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly what the hell I do. I don't care about North Korea, whatever China's up to. Let's find out. I want to know UFO stuff. 
whatever else. Yeah, whatever all these conspiracy theories are, you want to go find out what they are. That's what you do as president is really. You just want to find out all these weird conspiracy theories and see if they're true. Okay. So that's my 2020 for the week. And I'm sure there's other 2020 stuff out there. But that's the one I saw that really threw me for a loop for a little bit. Because the thought that the Air Force had actually genuinely officially verified that. I was just like, I know that can't be true. But what the hell is going on? Are you familiar with the with the difference between chaos and randomness? No. Uh, a a random event is something that's truly random. It's it's not predictable. It's not deterministic. It's just happened like a random number. Or, or quantum decay, whatever. Sure, whatever. But chaos means unpredictable. It means that you cannot predict what happens from a particular starting point. So okay. it, uh, so so when you see like uh, uh I guess uh, it, it's tough to model mathematically but like like chaos theory you if you had all the facts maybe you could but it's impossible to get all the facts. Yeah, imagine yeah, imagine you're shooting a uh, billiards and you shoot the cue ball for the most part you know what's going to happen and you can model that uh, physically. But what if you hit the cue ball and you're like I have no idea where these balls are going to go. Which to be frank, is how most amateurs play. Right. That's chaos. So my theory is that we're in the best timeline because of that. And 2020 is so spectacular. I, I, I'm going to go as far back as uh, the Cubs winning the World Series. <laughs> as soon as that happened, I think we all knew we were in for a wild ride. And reality has not failed to deliver. Not disappointed on that level. Okay. So why are we here today? Why do we have so many guests today? What is the deal with today's show? Our unusually well-behaved guests. Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome to the show, guys. Well, hey, hey, hey. Thank you. Hello. Uh, well, I was I was told because that they all wrote some great stuff, and since I, I don't in read, the book. I, I I since I don't read, I just took your word for it. And none of them say anything. That's a perfect well, time to jump I, in I, I think, I think that was your cue. I think they were waiting for you. Oh, me? To act, to X. Well, we have a book called, they have a called book. Penultimate Man. It's been brought out by, by a new imprint called Pylum Press. Uh, and, uh, well, we, I, I asked Misha to introduce it. Um, and I did so. And you did so. So would you do it again? Would I do it again? <laughs> Certainly I would. I'm, I'm, I'm shy happy. about speaking about our own work. Go, go ahead. All right. Hi there. I'm Lance Boyle, and people often wonder if I'm real. Um, and nobody caught that reference. Anyway. Okay. Um, are you ready to mega race? Old video game. Um Okay, yeah, no, I uh, I was approached about, uh, my name's Misha Burnett, and I am a writer, and I was approached about writing the introduction to Penultimate Men, which I have, was kind of, sort of, in a way, based on a uh, uh, um, Gamma World uh, campaign that I played in, um, and so I said, yeah, sure. I uh, read the stories. I ended up uh, going off on a completely random direction with the introduction, went on my own hobby horse about how intellectual property is strangling creativity, uh, or actually intellectual property lawsuits are strangling creativity. Uh, it's a collection of um, connected, but I wouldn't call uh, I wouldn't say they're in the same universe, um, the, um, but they're all they're all based on the the same sort of world. It is a uh, it is a post apocalyptic, um, all over the place, um, and their their adventure stories set after you know a bomb or something. Um, 
Somebody take over here. I'm floundering. <laughs> Man, it's 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 a really it's a really good looking book too. Um, like I just I just uh you know I just want to <laughs> you just want to give it away. Um, you gotta have. I mean, people got to have this. Um, it looks it looks like something from another time. It looks like uh, I don't know. It's just it's just a very oh. slick package. I, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but uh, I looked at the cover and I, I thought this would look perfect on the shelf of half price books next to some of the other old <laughs> sci-fi things. Yeah, that, I, that's the that's the vibe I got from it. Yeah, the, and the thing, know, the thing to know about me is that that I've, I've come back to to gaming and, and indeed to uh, science fiction and fantasy. Uh, you all remember the old Saturday Night Live sketch of the the caveman lawyer. No, you don't. Oh my Crickets. God. No, we do. <laughs> There's a class. Your, your modern ways frighten and confuse me, but I know one thing. <laughs> yeah, it was Joe Piscopo, and that, that was his that was his introduction to everything. And I remember coming across uh, Jeffro's website, and he was he was writing about games that I thought that everyone held in common, and. I realized that I was the caveman. I was, I was that, and and I still feel that way. Uh, Jeffrey, we've been in each other's circles now for goodness uh, about six, seven years. Is that yeah. about right? Yeah, like, half the people in the pulp rev were like. I, I look back sometimes; they were commenting on my game blog posts before there was anything even close to happening. I mean, it all even Sky goes way back in there, and Misha too. That's because yeah, you were talking about Car Wars, and Car Wars is freaking awesome. <laughs> I think we Thank all have that, that in common. Uh, the Car Wars is freaking awesome. We damn well ought to. <laughs> That's not negotiable. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but some things are just, you know, self-evident. <laughs> well, so so we have this kind of affinity, um, and and I'm a bit like Rip Van Winkle, you know, come down from the from the hills and I've just come into Terrytown and I'm going to, you know, go into the tavern and, 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 uh, make a toast to the King, to King George the third, right? Jeffro's the guy in the corner who, instead of, you know, showing me the door, he actually, you know, clinks his, his, uh, his glass to mine. <laughs> you know? So, um, I'm, um, just coming back to, to this planet that I left, uh, which, is, is actually in, in terrible disarray. And uh, he, he was one of the better describers of that disarray. Um, yeah, it, everyone is, is playing D&D wrong. <laughs> it's, it, this is an objective fact. Um, and I think we're only just now being, uh, uh, getting to the point where we can recover uh the things that dave arneson and gary gygax took for granted it, if i could characterize what that means and 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 what the osr means from a from a slightly different perspective is the the game that is published now with the dungeons and dragons name has evolved to represent the type of game that people think of as Dungeons and Dragons. And the game that was originally played and promoted isn't the same game. Which is why it's it's funny it's fun to say, you know, they're they're playing it wrong. They're just playing a different game, I think. I would say so. Yeah. No, I mean um, I, uh... no, it's wrong. It is wrong. <laughs> It is I'm going to I'm going to exercise my host prerogative and interrupt the conversation because I think Neil was headed to a different point before we get off into discussing only AD&D. I think the point <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm cutting oh, the conversation off. Daddy right Warren saves here. the show. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Host prerogative. <laughs> I started the show. I can cut the conversation short. That's how it works. No, um, I'm actually trying to be nice here. Neil was making a different point. What Neil was saying is 
he came back to gaming because of what was going on on Jeffro's blog. And one of the things that happened when he came back to gaming is that he like rediscovered all these games he knew that were old games. Uh, one of which was, and I'm kind of surmising here, Gamma World, right? Me. Right on. Sure enough. Um, the, the book got started after Jeffro got interested in first edition Gamma World. Um, you know, we're already off into edition wars. Um, but his, uh, his treatment in the book of how that game came about is just perfect. And I, I you know, I was, I was a kid then and, you know, I bought it, I guess, 79 or 80. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, Jeffro got it right. Uh, but he hadn't played the game. And so, you know, he, he, he's, um, Jeffro is, is, is one of these rare people who has enormous enthusiasm and is literally minded enough, literal minded enough to go back into something and try and find out what the original objective of the game was. You know, what did that fun look like? Of course, you know, I, I played that one as a kid. I played it a whole lot. Uh, and so once again, our interests congruent and, and we ended up we ended up playing uh, at table. Uh, everyone here was was in that game except Sky. Um, he so. also has a gift for for approaching it for laying down thirty years of accumulated baggage and saying blank slate. I'm going to the rules and I'm going to run with those. And we found in that game that you didn't need 30 years of accumulated baggage to use those rules to have a great time. Mm. And there's, there's power in that. You know, we've gone back to the original translation. We're not, you know, Jeffro took us back to Gamma World in its original inception, not as translated, but from a translation from a translation. Yeah, that that was a it was a weird campaign. That you can draw you, you can draw a straight line from that game to the AD and D, and there's parallels to what we're doing with literature as well. Let's go back and look at the 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 proto appendix and even take it back to next step. And you know what what we've presented in the penultimate men is uh, we we we've backtracked. And we've decided to take a fork in the road way earlier and go in new directions off into the wilderness, but we're still connected to that that original, you know, primal Lucy, if you will, that that Adam and Eve of gaming and literature. The, the, right. This goes back to my 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 twenty years absence, so it's actually probably more. But I I didn't even uh, I wasn't even aware of the. Uh, the erasure, uh, which which sort of begins with uh, Terry Brooks, uh, you know, I was around and, and I read Terry Brooks's terrible, terrible book when it came out, uh, but I wasn't aware of the damage that it had done to to publishing in, yeah. in science fiction fantasy. And and this one, um, and this is this is uh, this this is a coup for Misha, I think. Um, you know, we 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 went back uh, through Appendix N, looking to the literary uh, underground un inspirations of D and D, and found that you know the pulp literature that had been erased by the the more hard science fiction side of of the industry, um, and you know Misha has been steadfast in his support for the new wave era up over and against uh, the pulp rev, and uh, here. Uh, encapsulated in the games Metamorphosis Alpha and uh, Gamma World, both, uh, we have the same forgotten science fiction author, a new wave author, who uh, held a powerful sway over the imaginations of the RPG writers of the 70s. And uh, that writer is Brian Aldiss, who... Uh, who is is the science fiction giant that brings out so much of what these old games take for granted that you would know and which was 
so completely foreign to uh, an entire generation of gamers that were picking these up and and stumbling their way towards trying to figure out what to do with them. There's an interesting, if I can, um, if I can expand on that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> there's an interesting feedback effect in that um, you you end up having a copy of a copy of a copy because what happens is that people. Um, writers who are writing fantasy worlds are basing the fantasy worlds on the D&D games that they played. And then the the new generation of D&D players are basing their worlds on the fantasy that was created based on the D&D. And it's just moving farther and farther away from the, the original source material. And now, of course, we've got lit RPG, which I don't get at all. Um, but um, but yeah, I think that uh, I think that it's kind of become uh, incestuous. It's kind of you know you've got you've got the same tropes, you've got the same things in every world, and and well, you can uh, see it in the prose. I mean, it's it's terrible that <laughs> uh, George Martin is is so clearly describing a GURPS campaign. It's painful. Yeah, you can tell just by the disadvantages. Exactly. You can you can see him balancing out every character. You can hear the point by you can hear his pencil scratching as he's he's figuring it in the margins. And so I've got to give it I've got to give this character one more disadvantage because there's this really cool advantage I have in mind. Uh, Game of Thrones is the original lit RPG is a heck of a take, and I'm here for it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I I have not read George R. R. Martin since he came out with the Armageddon Rag in like 1980. So, um, <laughs> uh, Fever well, Dream, Fever is, Dream was awesome. I guess my point is is that 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 the science fiction and fantasy I read as a kid, although gaming had invaded it slightly, uh, you know, Roger Zelazny was was a, a semi-active gamer. Uh, I would defy you to say what game he was drawing from. I mean, you, you couldn't do it. His imagination is just too uh, too present. It's too strong. It would overpower uh, the, the the kind of uh, framework that that a, that a game like GURPS puts down. Of course, the AD, first edition AD and D doesn't really have a framework and that's that's why it's it's so strong but um well that's just it is that is that when we as our you know young people got the got the little cardboard box and had the myth and men and myth and magic and uh, all those little little paperback books inside of it i mean we're talking this is before uh, uh, player's handbook and monster manual, and and we're just like, okay, we got some bed sheets, we got an old barn, let's put on a show, and, and whatever, uh, you know, we would end up fighting whatever was on on Colchester the Night Stalker the previous week, you know, That's it was right. just whatever whatever came in, you know, we we had we had orcs, but yeah, we had. Uh, you know, Klingons and and Green Martians and you know, it, kitchen sink was was we didn't even have a word for it because we couldn't imagine any other alternative. You it know? was whatever made the game go. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's my you know twenty five year. <laughs> well, that that's going way back <laughs> now, but uh, that's it was whatever whatever made people's eyes light up. Uh, even if it was with fury, <laughs> got thrown in, right? So oh, that, that God, you was, know, when we all went to go see Alien, and we knew as we were watching the movie, oh shit, we're gonna run into this thing in next week's game. <laughs> <laughs> if we see any exactly. eggs in the dungeon, we are not touching them. <laughs> okay, flaming oil from a distance. <laughs> I've got so, to 
Uh, I've got a question from the chat, actually. Uh, there's lots of lively discussion here. These guys are awesome. Uh, John oh, Dacre. Wow. John Dacre has a question with, with hope for the future. Uh, there's a one on the spine of this book, The Penultimate Men. Are you going to make another one? Well, I, I did the layout uh, for this, and I think that is the most arrogant piece of graphic design I've, I've ever done, was putting that one <laughs> on the spine. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Um, the, the, the second volume, um, is in progress, but, um, you know, we've it's gone actually based this. on the Dallas role-playing game. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Now, now that, that changes everything. Jeffrey, stop what you're doing. John, sorry, man. Uh, you, you've got to, you've got to go back to the drawing board. Dallas RPG. Oh my God. <laughs> We've got to start paying you more. I'm, I'm <laughs> a shame. Um, but yeah, th there's there's a second volume in preparation. I, I I have the idea that this should be a yearly thing, but Pylum is going at things very organically. You know, I'm looking. Uh, is there going to be an ebook edition? I'm seeing that from Judd Goswick. Can, can anyone uh, out there in Chatland tell me the first book that Amazon deleted off of everyone's Kindle? 1984. Daddy Warpig takes the prize as per usual. Why? Because Would I the myself to to that sort of uh, manipulation. Um, okay, you can have an ebook without going through Amazon. You're aware of that, right? <laughs> yes, I, I am. I am. Uh, generally, uh, I, I have, I don't know, um, maybe, but I doubt it. That's the easy, easy answer. I mean, send me the PDF. I'll run it through Calibre and ebook it. No problem. Uh, scan thieves are my nightmare. <laughs> the, 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 the more highfalutin answer is that I, I come out of traditional publishing and I there's something about making a, a physical book, putting it in the physical world such that uh, it can be lent. People see you reading it. Um, you know, after I had my son and I, you know, I'm still actively encouraging him to to read. Uh, if I'm reading something on my phone, he has no idea what I'm what I'm looking at. Uh, even if I'm reading it to him, um, the idea that books are physical objects is pretty important to me. And and part of it goes back to the you know my my problem with being a caveman. Um, I I I understand print. When I left publishing, digital was just getting started, and I, I get the same feeling that I got in the early aughts when I was buying a cell phone. I couldn't compare anything. And that confusion was deliberate. And it basically, it cost me too much bandwidth to understand how to effectively publish something in electronic format such that, uh, that my writers get paid out. That's that's the complex answer to, to the question. What is this paid out you speak of? <laughs> <laughs> is it, when, when I when I said, do you want a percentage of this? And you said no. <laughs> that, that's that's the paid out part. Well, OK, that that's an introduction. You know, I mean, uh, I don't I, I, I can't take money for writing an introduction. That's just goofy. I mean, I'm, do I look like freaking Harlan Ellison here? You know, I mean, come on. Well, well, things cost what they cost. And so the, the way uh, Pylum works is I take a percentage for editing and layout. Uh, and the 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 rest of it is based on word count. So, you know, People get a percentage of that based on their word count. Um, and it is what it is. Nobody will ever earn back the time that they they spent 
on on uh, on writing these 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 ravishing stories that that John and and Sky supplied. Uh, you know, I, I I I could not have asked for a better first volume. So going back to that one, even though it was an arrogant thing to do to to imply a series, I'm very proud of that one as well. It, it's a terrific book. I, I've I, I've published, I've, I've helped publish books that weren't terrific, and it's not a good feeling. <laughs> uh, mm. And I, I, I don't want to do that under my own, uh, under my own imprint. I, I always want to feel that way. I want to feel like the number is, is worth the time. It'll never, we'll never be able to sell uh, books such that the money works out unless, you know, I, I can easily see, you know, John has a kind of uh, rhythm to the beats of his story that I, I imagine if I were looking to produce a post-apocalyptic series on, on the small screen or even, even a movie, of which there have been apparently a ton of them uh, in, in recent years, I would certainly be angling to, to option John Mollison's uh, stories. Um, the, the same thing goes with Sky. I think both, both of these writers have, have chops that, that transcend the page and would, would translate very, very well to cinema. So if there's any hope for, for, uh, for, for receiving one's just uh, rewards, I would imagine it would come from there. High praise. Well, let me. Can I offer an alternative take on that? And one of the reasons I'm I'm actually excited by the fact, as a contributor, that this is only available in hard copy, is that you know I operate from kind of the Dean Wesley Smith pulp ethos, where you as fast as you can, as much as you can, so you can get good at writing fast, you can release fast, and you fire these things off and I've written almost 16 novels over the last 14 years or the last four years and you fire them off and then you kind of forget about them and people download it onto their Kindle. And a lot of people, you know, they bought it cause it's only three bucks and then it sits and then nothing. And it's all very disposable. And with this, when I fired something off, Neil said, John, I need you to slow down. I need you to take a deep breath and I need you to really spend a little more time crafting and trimming and, and, you know, the, the, we're not doing cheap and disposable here. We're building something to last. And so the hard copy is a way of forcing you to slow down and commit to this book. You can't just click one time and then it'll download and maybe get to it. Maybe you don't. You are going to have to go to lulu.com and buy this book. And you're going to have to unwrap a package and hold it in your hands. And it's going to be here Essentially, on a human time scale, it's going to be here forever. And when you have that in your hands, you are going to take the time to savor it in a way that you don't. And this is no slight on the digital. Like I said, I've made some money on the digital. But this is a different kind of meal. This is not a drive-through kind of meal. This is a sit-down. And you're going to want to put this book down after reading one of the pieces. Meals in particular. No. I... Still, I've read it three times. I don't understand how he was able to infuse a two-headed talking pig with such pathos. It's just astonishing. You're going to want to get out a pencil because as you read uh, an essay by Jeffro or a story by Sky Hernstrom, you're going to want to underline things. You're going to want to dog ear this thing, and you're going to want to hang on to this for a long time. And our choice, Neil's decision to make this hard copy only, is a way to remind the reader that we live in a real world and that what you are consuming will become a part of you. And even if you just you read it once and you take it down to the library, somebody can sell it. You know, this is meant to be passed along to other people and it's meant to become a part of our culture in a way that mere electrons cannot. Yeah, so I, that's I, my take on why hard copy is appropriate for this volume. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely seeing that something different with uh, this volume. Um, you know, uh, it you know, <laughs> they they pick it up, they start reading, and and then there's like a beat. You know, you <laughs> they you lose them, right? You lose them, and you're like, 
<laughs> um, yeah, what do you think? You know, they're like, not now, I'm reading, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, one, one of my friends that picked up a copy, he, he, he totally, he, he, he forced himself to only read one story a night instead of just devouring it in one, because he wanted the pleasure to last as long as he could make it last. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, that, and that mindset shift, you know, this dovetails with what we were discussing with AD&D, where you're going to want to take things out of this book and plug them into your table. And it'll be a heck of a lot easier if you got that volume on your desk reminding you about, oh, yeah, the scorpions. Yeah, I can use that. So <laughs> when you roll something random on the random encounter table, oh, yeah, these scorpions, I can use that. You know, this this concept of maybe it's time. And a lot of people, you see this in the culture. A lot of people are switching back to flip phones. They've had enough of you know, the Twitter style, fire and forget, fire and forget. Um, and, and they want to make those connections. And I think you'll feel those connections when you when you read this volume. That's a really uh, good comment, John, about um, underlining. Uh, Misha's introduction goes over uh, intellectual properties and, and how they're not tropes. And tropes are not intellectual properties. However hard the people making movies right now want you to believe that that's the case. I think it's also video games as well, that there, there's, um, there's a subtext that, you know, these tropes, which have been in play since heaven knows, since the, since the turn of the 20th century are actually, you know, the property of whatever game studio. Like whoever uh, wanted to copyright space marines. Oh, Right. Uh, that's that's the most egregious example. I, I think you mean you mean Lensman, right? Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it, oh, you can't do that. And uh, and if if I can say you know like I said in my introduction, if everybody who had created something had you know, kept control of it, and you know, it's like, oh, you can't use time travel because H.G.Wells' state will sue you, you know, you can't use uh, whatever, you know, can't use an alien invasion, yeah, well, we did that too. Um, well, and it's particularly egregious when a company, company, and it's particularly egregious when a company like Games Workshop says, hey, you, we got to be real fiercely protective of our intellectual property, you know, our intellectual property, like the Judge Dredd Arbides and the eight-pointed <laughs> arrows for the chaos and the, you know, all of these things that they they stole from other creatives and, and threw together in a glorious mismatch. It's a wonderful universe. But they're, they're a bit like the, the Disney of the tabletop world in that they, they trade on all of these recognized concepts and then wall off the garden that they built using plants they took from other people's garden. Come on, give me a break. And 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 I want to when I, went in, when I went into my cave all those years ago, that wasn't the case. But I come back out and there are games workshops boutiques all over the place that there are in France where I live. Uh you know, there are these crazy uh threads about copyright infringement going on everywhere. Uh yeah, so your world is strange and confuses and, and enrages me. <laughs> for, for someone who's enraged, you're the calmest enraged caveman I've ever met. Uh, uh, what, what can I say? I'm, I'm half half Scandinavian, but uh, there you go. You know, <laughs> we're 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 tarring up the boats and pushing them out into the fjord as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah i was supposed to have a question i was supposed to have a question ready for for this break and it didn't happen daddy Warpig. i got you john i got you because i want to go back to something else misha was talking about about how the stories in the penultimate men available now exclusively at lulu.com share a connection no, no 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 it's also available on amazon.com it is. We get less money from it. 
as I said, exclusively at Lulu.com. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons that I was drawn to this project is because it mimics what Misha Burnett did in the pages of Kursova magazine, also available at Amazon.com, with his Eldritch Earth, where you've got a concept with some connective tissue and you can spot the the connection but we we, we are in a, a a culture by which i mean the science fiction and fantasy where people have a, a it's it's very appealing to autists who are very uptight about things like canon and they do things like put huge graphics together how every single pixar movie exists in the same universe and you, i just want to grab them and say you need to unclench bro there was a, a bug in the other movie, because it's a little joke. It's just a little joke. And, you know, the Eldritch Earth series is the same way, where stop thinking about the chronology and exactly how this whole universe fits. It doesn't. You know, we, you, you've got a little bit of connect. You've got some references that if you're paying attention, you go, oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that. But it's not, Oh, you know, this is not a fully realized, fleshed out universe where everything is fully realized beforehand. It's well, just well, a little bit of a theme around which we've built these various stories that deal with the post-apocalypse. And more importantly, let me just say real quick, these are not stories about the fall. These are stories about looking at the ruins and restacking the rocks to try to attempt to rebuild what came before. And there's a strong parallel with what we are doing as creatives that we live in the ruins of, of a golden age and we're looking around the ruins and saying, you know, I prefer what happened in the golden age. I'm going to take the rocks and start stacking them up and, and try to approximate the, the, the giants on whose shoulders we stand. So this is a, a post-apocalyptic book, but it's really more, I think of a, you know, we're completing the cycle and it's it's a pre golden age book where you've got people that are striving and struggling to build a new golden age to pass down to their to their progenitors or their what's what I'm looking for their posterity. Um, I wanted to say earlier that, you know, the the um, the incoherence in the canon that you can see that the, the intolerance. Of, of incoherence. I mean, it's ridiculous because, you know, we're at some point we're talking about elf games and, you know, talking pigs and whatnot. Uh, but if you're bothered by that sort of incoherence, my greatest wish for a reader would be to be annoyed by that coherence and sit down and write and resolve that incoherence. I've first, always said, sorry. First edition AD&D is composed of incoherences. OD&D is, is even has has even greater distances among the, the the coherent parts. And the reason why you engage with it in part is to resolve those incoherences. That that that's all I have to say. I, I just saw a parallel between uh, between the you know insistence upon canon is is something that you know I I could care less about the Star Wars franchise. I, 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 you know, pulled out of that after the second movie when I was a kid. What? You know, yeah, <laughs> but th it there, was, there, it was nothing in it for me. Yeah, it was Yoda specifically that yeah. uh, he turned me off of science fiction for decades. Oh my goodness, Yoda. Yeah, yeah I know I started, uh, I started doing crime fiction and mysteries and, and, uh, no, it's just it's it's like here Star Wars was visually amazing, and it looked like it'd been filmed in a location in outer space. And I was so psyched about okay, they're gonna do another one. We're gonna do another one, and it's friggin' Fozzie Bear, yeah, side green and speaking Yiddish, you know. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh come on. And of course, you well, know, at the time, I discovered people like Philip Dick and and uh, and William S. Burroughs and and you know the new wave stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm I'm sitting here watching this this Muppet with a copy of of Thomas Fish's Camp Concentration in my back pocket. And I'm like, no, I, I if this is what to... science fiction is, 
then I want no part of it. I can't wait to meet you in St. Louis some in some future day <laughs> and uh, go on, out on the town with you. Um, th that's exactly where my head was when I saw uh, Empire Strikes Back. It was like, oh, great, the Muppets are in Star Wars now. And that was, yeah. that was not a, um, if you were that age and, uh, you know, a science fiction fan already, and, and I had already started reading uh, Philip Dick and Harlan Ellison, uh, you know, that, that's a very different sort of experience than, than watching, uh, you know, Lee Brackett's fantastic screenplay. Uh, yet, you know, here, it, it seemed like a rude intrusion. And it seemed, uh, you know, it's funny to say this at the age that I am now, but it made it seem more juvenile than it should have been. Yeah, and uh, granted, a lot of it was the particular time, you know, um, I was born in 1963, so I was, I was uh, you know, turning 18 then, and I was at the point where it's like, I'm too cool for kid stuff anymore. And mm -hmm. it just felt like, particularly with the whole uh, game or uh, toy tie-in, and, and it felt like, you know, I'm, I'm too cool for Star Wars. And that kind of made me feel like I was too cool for science fiction in general. Uh, some of the stuff I was still reading, but, uh, but you know, I'd also discovered Joseph Wamba and, um, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, Thomas Harris was coming out with stuff at that time period, and he was a local boy. Um, it's just a, it's a different... Uh, it's it's taken me a while before for me to give myself permission to to go back into science fiction, like you were saying, you know, to uh, to rediscover the uh, the old country. Hmm. Yeah. Well, one one thing I want to uh, touch on with the uh, the incoherence theme that Neil was talking about, uh, and running the running the Gamora games that, that sort of presaged this 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 volume. Uh, getting uh running that game like with like you it, it's a completely unbalanced rule set you you don't know which character is going to be important you don't know who's going to show up at the session you know which mutation power they have uh you've Life got like, you've got two sentences uh in this rule book uh, uh you don't know what equipment people are going to find and 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 like like in great science fiction this is a this is kind of an inverse and the great hard science fiction that I, I took for granted as being, you know, this is what people care about, which was nothing at all like what Brian Aldiss was writing. But like a Isaac Asimov and uh, David Brin, I would say, as, as just two exemplars of sort of the mainstream of, of big publishing SF. Um, like what they do well is, in, their, in their stories is, is they set something up, they set up, a, they lay down a premise and, and you're following it. And then over the course of 100 pages or 200 pages or 300 pages, you have this gradual sense of unease because there's cognitive dissonance being uh, gradually in introduced into the, the, the tone. Um, and then when you get to the climax, all the pieces that never fit, they sort of come back together and you have this euphoric feeling as as you look at everything you've seen up until then in this new light um i'm gonna say running gamma world is exactly not like that um, <laughs> <laughs> um because uh, we 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 were i mean we're running this game with the, the, the this, this rough sketch of a rule set and i've got uh these d100 tables from the back of the manual uh to sort of populate the world and, uh, and I'd say, looking back, it's very similar to these AD&D games. It's like, I have no idea how to balance an encounter. It's either going to be really, really easy, or it's going to be a total party kill. I have no idea which way it's going to go. There's a, there's a chaos in the game where things just, there's a tipping point is reached, and then there's somebody is in a death spiral. And like, there's no middle ground. And so, uh, yeah, in the Gamma World game, um, and, and 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 similar in the you're seeing more of this in the AD and D game, which helps me see what happened previously. But um, it, it there's nothing static about the game. There's nothing predictable about the game. You know, when when one particular mutation is in, in play, uh, 
like I mean I I would put I would put obstacles in front of the players, a challenge in front of the players, and and just by setting an ambush, like the the bad guys would have zero chance. And then I'm like, okay, well, all right, we'll, we'll st- you, you took care of uh, uh, the the advanced scouts, but can you take care of the whole army? And and the answer in Gamma World was yes, they could. So <laughs> 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 Maybe with one laser rifle and and one a life leech, like we sat there and did the math, and we're like, this is that, so that, broken. That <laughs> army is no, is no. not, and, and I, I'm going to say it's not broken. This is this is the best place to be because if you're not in this place. Yeah. Yes. Then you're in the world that all the D and D three point five players are at, where they've got everything balanced out and everything is predictable, and they know every single thing that's going to happen. Nothing ever surprises those people. Disequilibrium, disequilibrium, and incoherence are interesting in narratives. What what we had to do, what we had to do, was constantly reevaluate what the scope of the game even was. And that's where our our imaginations get uh, get engaged, and that's where we start. You you have this opportunity to invest in the game in a totally different way than you had in every other session up to that. One thing that I find completely persuasive about pulp rev and and traditional pulp fiction is that it is headlong. It 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 establishes a direction. It takes on momentum. The writer always gets out far over his skis and has to get back to uh, a neutral position. It creates beats in and of itself. So, Misha, I, I would disagree that it's 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 so broken. I mean, I, I guess I mean if the objective is to to design uh, a balanced game, then yeah, it's broken. But balance isn't particularly interesting. I, I spend a lot of time, I, I've done uh, some professional war game design that, that is uh, for, for professional military. Um, and, you know, the only people who really worry about balance are, are, are amateurs and, and interests. Um, if you've been around for a while, uh, someone gives you a war game and say, it's unbalanced. It's like, oh, which side is is gets the dirty end of the stick? I want to play that side. <laughs> this okay. Is, no, I, I got you there. Is is really really interesting. You you you're talking to somebody who used to specialize in in running the Russians and squad leaders. So yeah, I know exactly well, what you're talking about. <laughs> that's that's fascinating. Uh, us younger kids. Uh, liken that to uh, popping in your new video game cart and immediately starting it up on hard mode. I, my my friends and ex-girlfriend always wonder, John, why do you keep doing that to yourself? I said, it's the only way to play, baby. You're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, imagine what it was in 1979 being a kid and, and buying a copy of Squad Leader and um, not knowing... Uh, you know, I, I have some military culture now. I mean, I could, that game seems completely transparent to me culturally and, and mechanically. But if you cut your teeth on that or pick up AD&D, I mean, my goodness, what the hell is this? You don't know what it is. Whatever you're going to do, it's going to be wrong, but it's going to be fun. Well, see, that's, since I came into RPGs from uh, tabletop wargaming, I never thought, I never really got into the um, dramatic aspect. I think of it as as a war game in which your unit strength is one person. And and so that's how I play. And it's like, you know, when I'm when I'm playing risk, I don't care, you know, what are my armies going to be eating? You know, after after you know their 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 briefing. Yeah, I don't care about that. I want to know. Okay, am I going to take you Tusk or not? And that's that's how I play D and D. It's like I don't care about the person. I want to know. Can I take this small unit 
and take on a numerically su superior force and and destroy it. That's that's all it is for me. That's where I'm at. And uh, I'm I'm sure that uh, John Baker out there can uh, can attest to that. That I will I will you know willingly go into situations where I'm always outnumbered, always outgunned, and I will find a way to use whatever resources are available, including magic staplers, to uh, to get my objection. <clears throat> All right. Um, we're going to start wrapping up now. Um, Sorry. Let's start with, let's start with Neil. Uh, you had uh, some last comments you wanted to make. Yeah, well, uh, Pylum is, is an imprint, and you know I'm looking for, for manuscripts. I'm, I'm reading two right now. Uh, I've had two submissions since the book uh, hit, which is great because they were completely unsolicited, and they were both good. Um, I just, you know, if, if you go back over this conversation, some of the themes uh, are really um, are worth picking up on if you're a writer. I mean, we're get out over your skis. We want stuff that's that's headlong, uh, not particularly reflective. I can be, uh, but you know, that's that's dedicated to victory somewhere whatever that is um i i wish sky had been here because his his twitter handle um john do, do, do you remember what it was we were well, talking about uh your your backstory is embarrassing trash right um, <laughs> yeah. that 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 usually i one my way of saying that is information is the death of narrative um you know, find out what your, you know, your backstory is dynamically in terms of scene. Mm. Um, and, and maybe just, I, I have a whole document, Come, uh, contact me and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the document, but uh, never do one thing in, in, in any of your narratives, you know, um, any fictive utterance should, should really serve at least two purposes at any given moment. And that's, that's a very, perhaps too technical for this conversation, but th those are the kinds of things that I'm looking for. Um, I'm looking for book length uh, projects. So, you know, 70,000 words or above. And uh, it's, it's Pylum Press at protonmail.com. That's if, great. Uh, Pylum Press is P-I-L-U-M, is it Mary? P-R-E-S-S, -S, Pylum Press, mm -hmm. uh, at uh, And uh, if you could please make sure that I get uh, any links or email addresses that you want. For anybody listening to this later on YouTube, I'll make sure that anything you send me gets into the description so that people can follow up on it later. Now, Misha, I know you wanted to talk about a book of yours that was just out. Oh, well, I just wanted to. It's not out yet, but I am doing a new... Uh, New project with Kursova, who, how we managed to get through this, all this talking about the OSR without talking about Kursova is beyond me, but uh, I, it's a science fiction collection. It's called Endless Summer, and uh, he will be launching the Kickstarter soon. And I have actually several uh, post-apocalyptic um, stories in it, and um, I'm real excited about it, and that's all I have to say. All right, uh, John Watson. <laughs> any last thoughts, John? Yeah, if I could work in two quick plugs for you tabletop wargamers out there. I am actually running a YouTube channel called The Joy of Wargaming that touches on a lot of the things we've talked about here, uh, a lot of Let's Plays. And also I have uh, the third book. For those of you that have been waiting patiently, the third book in the Suddenverse will be coming out in uh, about a month. And I've, I'm basically going to re-release the entire trilogy of Captain Easy Sudden and his Space Princess Karenina. So keep an eye out for Sudden Storm. That'll be coming, hitting the press here probably sometime in August. All right. And Jeffro Johnson. Yes. Um, um, like the, um, uh, I inadvertently, I didn't realize it when I wrote the uh, essays in this uh, volume, The Penultimate Men, but I unlocked a key, shall we say, winning secret of the 1970s style of D&D, 
Uh, I put it to the test in my recent AD&D campaign that's still going and being documented at my uh, at my blog. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, we have recovered and reconstructed the magic that made RPGs as as exciting and engaging and phenomenal as they were back in the day. And everything I wrote, everything I wrote in the penultimate men was 100% spot on and has borne gaming fruit. And for Jeffro's hot D&D AD&D takes, you're going to go to Jeffro's space gaming blog. What, what's the address, Jeff? Uh, Jeffro.wordpress.com. Um, and are you going to be writing this up in a blog post or in a book or in? Uh... Oh, absolutely not. I'm just I'm just running a, a crappy AD and D game for my friends. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> are you going to be putting this uh, secret into the next penultimate man? Or oh, I, I I think I'm up to ten ten people now have asked me to do this. I, I you know I, I, that's just not enough. To persuade me that it's working. <laughs> I, I don't I don't care about your blog. I'm ready to submit a character for your next session. Let's go. <laughs> That's the spirit. Beautiful. Three nine six in order. <laughs> no, 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 Misha. We're method three now. Six three. times? Three three D six six times in order is that's twenty nineteen. This is twenty twenty now. <laughs> one winning secret. I one guess I'm Guess I'm living in the past. <laughs> All right. Well, you max out hit points too, don't you? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Cornwall, <laughs> uh, do you have any uh, last thoughts? My last thoughts are: it is a pleasure hanging out with you guys. Uh, I've we've had most of you on at least once before, and it's always great, always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I, I love getting a sense of what you guys have put together for a book because because uh, uh, you guys have such wild imaginations. And on the topic of role-playing games, can I just say that I'm not aware of any type of hobby that creates the kind of experiences and bonds that we share like a tabletop RPG. And uh, I'm I'm glad that all of this has borne fruit. But all right. on a less on a less serious note, it's uh, is awesome. Thanks to everybody hanging out in the chat. It was it was great. They're, they're still going. Uh, chat has stopped listening to us, and they're just talking about their own thing. It's cool. <laughs> it's all good. Chat on YouTube. Yep. People say don't read the YouTube comments or whatever. Well, our chat is. Uh, is as far as I know, the only exception. Awesome people. So yeah. it is time for my closing monologue, uh, and I want to start by saying that uh, you know, thanks everybody who came and listened. Thanks everybody participating in the chat. Thanks everybody who's going to tune in later. Um, if I could summarize what we've been talking about today, the uh, the kind of Gonzo all out balls to the wall, post apocalyptic mutants. Uh, in the aftermath of the destruction of the world, uh, started with Brian W. Aldiss in the New Wave science fiction authors and was picked up by James Ward, uh, who I don't think got a mention on the show, but I'm going to mention him, um, and turned into a game called Metamorphosis Alpha, which was set on a giant spaceship moving through space, and uh, people got mutantized on that ship. Uh, and uh, much amusement uh, ensued, and then also got made into a, world, a game called Gamma World, um, and uh, was greatly admired by all and sundry. And uh, Gamma World isn't after the bomb game, nukes everywhere, and then mutants everywhere. Um, and in the aftermath, there are many organizations, many uh civilizations springing up and your characters are mutants they're plant mutants and animal mutants and uh, human mutants and even pure strain humans and you get a role for random mutations and who knows what the heck you're gonna end up with um and i hope i uh i i, 
I know this should maybe have gone at the beginning of the show, but hey, that's the way we roll. Um, and the best way to listen to Geek Ab is to just skip around the times. <laughs> it's not going to be any less confusing, at least. Um, and then the penultimate men is written in the spirit of those games and those books. So um, it's a lot of fun, those games, those books. And again, as in all role-playing that I mentioned on the show, I myself have not been able to play them as much as I would like, um, but I always, always, always wanted to. Pause for a sip. Um, And I would really, really love uh, looking forward to reading the book. and if I could chime in on the matter of ebooks, um, having heard the uh, statements by John and Neil and uh, Jeffro and Misha, I myself would like to put in a plug for an ebook format because there are people out there who can't read paperback books for whatever reason or who don't buy paperback books for whatever reason. And so by not having an ebook available, you're just leaving money lying on the table, which is an affront to me and uh, that that part of my spirit animal, which is Ferengi in nature. Um, also, it's just really, really convenient. You hear about a book, you think about a book, you click on a button, and within minutes, you're reading it and enjoying it and talking about it with other people. And I think that, uh, at least for me, whether it's on ebook or whether it's on paper, makes no difference to how much I love uh, a given work. So, if I could have a vote or at least make my opinion known, I would love to have uh, I would love to have the uh, penultimate men in ebook because the only time I buy paperback books nowadays is if I'm in close proximity to the author and I can get it uh, I can get it autographed. <laughs> um, is what it is. Um, I'm anyways. not buying any more books because I've, at the moment, have got about a thousand pounds of paper books that I'm trying to get rid of that hopefully I can find someplace to donate to that I don't have to pay for shipping. So I just want to say uh, to all the people listening to the show live or listening to the show later, you can catch Geek Gab about this time every Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. That's YouTube dot com slash geek gab moreover you can get us on the apple itunes store subscribe to the podcast there you can subscribe to the podcast on soundcloud.com that's soundcloud.com and you can also get us on the google play store so you can listen to this show on the device of your choosing whatever is most convenient for you. Folks, we are leaving you for today. We are signing out. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.